0: I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now.
1: Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Antheater radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcasting
0: free. 2 1
1: All right, we are back. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And standing by to join me is Carolyn Webb. She's author of How to Have a Good Day. We could all use that, couldn't we? I know I, sometimes you kind of feel like you're in a funk and you can't figure out why. And so this is an excellent read. I have her book in front of me and lots of great tips. She uh, is also a management consultant and executive coach. So it's my pleasure welcome to welcome this week's show, Carolyn Webb. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for calling in. I'm delighted to be here. I really enjoyed going through your book I wanted to find out what inspired you to write this, how to have a good day.
0: (laughs) That's a nice question. Well, I've been working with people over the last 20 years now, uh, helping them be at their best, uh, often in the professional context, but sometimes more broadly. And what happened was that I found whenever I made reference to behavioral science, and by that I mean the behavioral aspects of neuroscience and psychology and economics, all the researchers who are thinking about why we behave and think and feel the way that we do. Mm-hmm. I found that people's eyes would light up. You know, When I was coaching people to change their behavior in a certain way, it would be so much easier for them to think about why it was worth doing if they understood maybe why their brain was going to function better uh, sure. by by making this change. And I also then got asked a lot by my clients, where is this science-based coaching stuff written down? And Honestly, I was drawing a little bit of a blank, so I felt that there was a gap for a book that really uh, took all this great science but made it super, super practical and made it very clear how to actually use this in everyday life. So that's why I wrote the book. <laughs>
1: no, I think it's great. And what's interesting, too, is a lot of times you get into this funk. I mean, the theme of my show is Get the Funk Out, and you can't figure <laughs> out why you feel like this. And it's Maybe it's not that lack of sleep or you just feel off.
0: Mm, absolutely I mean there are any number of different ways that you can have a bad day
1: (laughs) oh yes (laughs) and I
0: do try and cover all of them uh, in in the book and um even wrote the book so that the chapters could be read in any sequence. So that if you had a difficult conversation coming up this afternoon, that you could go to chapter nine immediately.
1: <laughs> I
0: see that. Um, yes. But yeah, <laughs> I think that there are all sorts of reasons why we can be we can be in a funk, and mm-hmm. there's one general theme that tends to sit behind it, which is that when our brain is on the defensive. Um, It's perceiving some kind of threat, even if it's something really minor, like someone maybe treading on our toes or just frowning in our direction or even just dealing with a problem that feels a bit hard. When our brain is on the defensive against those kinds of tiny little threats, we Mm -hmm. just don't think as clearly and we're not at our best emotionally. So most of what puts us in a bad mood is our brain responding to something which it perceives as a threat and then going into The modern version of fight, flight, or freeze. And And once you understand that and you think about what the triggers, the common triggers are, it actually starts to feel a little bit more controllable when you're wondering what the hell is going on right now. It becomes easier to see. And I do this
1: awful thing where I'll process something and I feel on the defensive and then I'll go to sleep and I mm. won't sleep well and I'll wake up and I'll just be so stressed because I mm. let that thing bother me and I probably over analyzed it and misinterpreted something or you know a lot it's very common I'm sure
0: oh it's very common and um, you know there's a whole part of the book that's devoted to resilience uh, because of course you know something goes wrong most of us will think about it and yes. um, some of us will think about it a lot Oh, I know, <laughs> and so it, the wonderful thing is, again, you know, the research is really uplifting in this. There are lots of techniques that have been shown to really help us stop ruminating and move on when things go wrong. One of my favorites is something called reappraisal, where you okay. attach a different story to what's happened. So oh, I like that. So, Yeah. <laughs> so something's gone wrong. You've got your own version of what you think is the problem. Yes telling yourself one or two different versions that explain the situation perhaps in a more benign way mm-hmm. has been shown to reduce the threat activation in your brain and also make you more resilient the next time something goes wrong.
1: Oh, I like that. I could see that as like a writing exercise in a workshop.
0: Absolutely. That's a great point because I I think that there's something powerful that comes out of the research, again, in, in terms of writing longhand. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us do it so rarely these days that... It's, it, it really does help us to get a little bit of distance from what it is that we're describing. And that's another thing that's been shown in, in the literature to be really quite powerful is, is distancing yourself from a situation. Yes. Like saying, what will I think looking back on this in a year's time? That's my favorite. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. I like that one. I have uh, I've always liked to write, but lately I've gone through some difficult times. I just lost my dad a few months ago.
0: And, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I lost mine six years ago. Oh, yeah, I'm,
1: I'm where, sorry. Where I feel for you. Yeah. So I, I uh, bring a notebook. I was bringing a notebook with me on the planes I was taking. I was traveling for five months back and forth, and I would uh, write down stories and my thoughts, and it was so cathartic. And they've become these short p- different pieces, and it's, it's sometimes it's really healing. Even if you're going through a conflict, I've found that you can just blast it out on paper and you don't have to send it to that person, but it just makes you feel better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, the researchers would call that technique uh, something called affect labeling. And that's where you do exactly what you're talking about. I mean, Mm -hmm. you obviously have great instincts in this area that, you know, writing, writing down how you feel. There's a study which I particularly like because it, it, generates a bit of a you know, strong reaction in me, it's, was done with um, a tarantula, A real tarantula. (laughs) And they had a bunch of people who were (laughs) scared of this tarantula, which, you know, would seem to me to be most people. But anyway, they had this group of people who were scared of the tarantula. And they tried a few different techniques. So one is, you know, kind of classic affirmation, saying, I'm Mm -hmm. not scared of the spider. Um, They had another group not do anything much, just kind of look at it. And then they had another group uh, do what you're describing, which is to write down their feelings and say, I'm scared of this spider because... And they were able to note, well, really, it wasn't just a question of noticing that the people who did the writing and the affect labeling could get closer to the spider. They were also able to notice that um, there, was, there was actually what's called skin conductance tests that showed that they were simply less freaked out. Ah. And so, you know, it really does give us some kind of distance and some kind of processing to label our emotions uh, in that way. So I, I love it. it. If I'm really struggling yes. to get past something that's difficult, I do take out a pad and a pen and I start writing.
1: Yes, because you're actually, you're not having the conflict with the person. You're just venting and getting it out and then yeah. you put it away and it, yes. it, it just definitely helps you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, all the research says you're absolutely right on that. Well, good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Um, well, I just found that, you know, we go through all these difficult periods of whether it's a funk with a career or a relationship. And I'm always trying to find things that I can do to help me um, Mm. get through life's craziness. And a lot of times you're looking for something that will get you out of that mood, you know, and kind of, I was just talking to my previous guest, Victoria Pratt, how, you know, going for a walk or just trying to get yourself into a different frame of mind. Can you speak to that a little bit about, Kind of shifting your your thoughts from negative to positive,
0: oh yes, well, I mean obviously that 's yeah, a big the theme thing. of the the whole book, yeah. yeah, and there are lots of really you know tactical ways that you can quickly give yourself a boost when you're uh, when you 're hitting a low. I mean you mentioned going for a walk right again, absolutely you know the the research is is quite encouraging on this front mm-hmm. because once upon a time, we might have thought that you had to do a big, hard workout for an hour to right. really get any kind of Boost. The research is much more um, (laughs) forgiving than that suggests that doing really quite small bursts of, say, brisk walking, moderate Mm -hmm. activity, gives you an immediate boost in your ability to focus and solve problems and an immediate boost to your mood. Yes. So, okay. you know, that's pretty fantastic. That means just, you know, when you're thinking about your next appointment, maybe walking there a little bit faster than you might normally walk. It means taking the stairs when you might not otherwise. And then there are a heap of really um, evidence-based tactics for, for helping to shift your mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, one which you might know is uh, thinking about how can you be generous to others, yes. which is you know when you're when you're the one that's feeling down, it feels a bit counterintuitive right. to be the one giving to others but mm-hmm. um but yeah the studies are really uh exciting on this saying that just uh being perhaps slightly kinder than you might need to be, giving mm-hmm. up a seat, paying an unexpected compliment yes. it gives us so much of a boost, and right. obviously it gives the other person a boost, which is wonderful, sure, but you're left feeling. You know, I've got so much to give. Right. <laughs> it gives us, yes. you know, such a quick boost.
1: And what's interesting too is, um, I was suggesting uh, to someone in my family they perhaps go out and volunteer, or they, as you said, going out and doing something for somebody else, because it gets you out of your mindset that perhaps could be negative.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it really. I think it works because of two different things, actually. One is that it it, it makes you feel as if you have something to give, yes. and that is, you know, looking at the basic human needs, having a sense of competence is, is, really, um, is really a powerful reward for the brain and when you're looking at how to get your brain out out of the sort of defensive mode, uh, thinking about how do you give yourself a deep reward, like feeling competent and uh, feeling useful, is really powerful. Um, But I also think that there's something else that goes on when we're being generous and kind to other people, um, which comes from another type of of deep reward for the brain, which is uh, the social connection. Oh, right. That's right. Because it makes us feel connected to humanity, to to go out of our way to help someone who's struggling with a bag. Yes, Um, yes.
1: And what's helped me too, I want to add this because you talk about exercising your mind in your book, is that uh, reading. I've become such a better reader. I'm I'm always looking through different things online for, you know, the latest books or you know just different things that have come out might be of interest to me. And I've gone through so many books in the past six months.
0: That's in, that's wonderful. And in fact, what you're doing there is you're playing to a third category of rewards. Mm-hmm. So if social rewards are one feeling connected and feeling belonging and so on Mm -hmm. and personal rewards feeling competent and autonomous are another then there's a third category which is informational rewards our brain loves learning new things and you know that's why we like gossip (laughs) it's it's sort of it's a basic kind of that's enjoyment funny. that has been right. found in the research of learning new, hearing new pieces of information. Mm-hmm. So, I think there is something really wonderful about taking a moment to read, and perhaps books are, you know, the most obvious, but even just taking a moment to read something on the internet that's a little beyond what you would normally uh, read and just thinking, oh, how fascinating. What yes. do I learn from this? What do yes. I take from this? It's, uh, it's something that can only, it can only require 10 minutes of your time, and it can give you a real boost.
1: Well, I also do some of my reading at the gym because I find it really boring to be walking on a treadmill. So I'll read, <laughs> you know, about whatever, how to become a better writer or whatever it is. Um, I really, that's my time because I feel like, oh, it's such a waste of my brain not to be doing something.
0: Yeah, me too, actually. Um, I, I do a lot of reading when I'm on the, on the elliptical trainer. Oh, you do? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and uh, I can remember actually in the process of writing the book, it took, it took me about four years to write it, but there are lots of um, vivid memories I've got of having a breakthrough What I'm actually Isn't that funny? <laughs> mid-stride and then suddenly thinking, oh, right, I, this is how I can explain that, that complicated so idea.
1: Funny. And it's so funny. Why is that? Because you could be in your house in front of the computer for hours blank, but then you take yourself out of that environment and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off.
0: Yeah, and and you know that we've all had that experience. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know when you, you're in the shower and you suddenly think, "My goodness, I'm amazing! I've come up with this incredible <laughs> I don't know solution." That, yeah, yeah. Um, and th- again, there's good there's good evidence to explain that. I think that it's actually still emerging an emerging area of research. It's called um, you know what happens in your brain when it's in a resting state. Mm-hmm. Lots of cutting edge thinking on this, but what we definitely know is that when you step away from a task, your brain doesn't stop working on it. Uh, if you are uh, in any way intending to come back to it, your brain does a bunch of encoding and consolidation yes. of the information. And what those uh, fancy sounding terms mean is you're essentially you're, you're processing. <laughs> okay. And that means that when you come back to the problem, you have... The chance of having fresh insight because that encoding and consolidation means that your brain has been connecting whatever you've just been doing to everything that's already store in, stored in your memory. And of course, that's where new insight comes from when we make new connections. No, that so, makes a
1: lot of sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I um, love the,
1: um, the part about three good things. You think about three things that you're really, really glad about because we, we forget that. We forget sometimes we're so far down this hole of feeling bad.
0: Absolutely, and it's so powerful because uh, it goes back to the ha- how the brain works again, right? So, mm-hmm. the brain can only process a certain amount of reality at any given time. Yes. We don't know that because we're not aware of what we're not aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that the brain decides what we consciously notice out of everything that could be noticed around us is that it looks for anything that matches what's already top of mind for us. Mm -hmm. So if you get out of bed and you're in a bad mood, your brain will look for evidence that confirms you should be in a bad mood, which is how you can feel like you just got out of bed the wrong side. Yes. Everyone just seems like a jerk, and you're thinking, you know, what's going on today? Well, what's going on is that your brain is filtering out everything that could be perceived as more positive. So you see the person who's frowning you, but you don't see the person who smiles at you. And so if you decide to see three good things, Say you're having a terrible commute, and you say, okay, this is awful. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in the last few minutes of the commute, I'm going to decide to notice three good things, however tiny and ridiculous they are. Mm -hmm. That then means that those good things are top of mind, which means your brain then says, okay, I'm going to look for things that match your state of mind, which means you see more good things. It's quite profound.
1: That is. Wow. And if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Carolyn Webb, author of How to Have a Good Day – there's so many great chapters in this book. You have one just on thinking. Uh, being your smartest, wisest, most, most creative self. Do you have moments where you, like now you understand how to get into that creative mode in your life?
0: Well, are, are you asking me, sort of, do I apply this to myself? Yeah,
1: like, you know, with a lot of this <laughs> of inspiring
0: for, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, one of the, well, there, was, there were a few filters I used to decide what went in the book, because... Mm-hmm you know it's a very very broad book in in the sense that i'm trying to tackle everything uh, that comes out of all the behavioral sciences and i'm saying let's apply all of that to everything that might give you a good daily everyday experience sure. so a couple of filters that i applied one was i can't put something in the book if it just seems like a good idea but there's no rigorous science behind it okay. and the second filter was i can't put it in the book if i don't do it myself oh <laughs> that's good So, yes, I do. And I really do do all of these things for myself. And I I would say, you know, the process of writing it all down over the process of four years Mm -hmm. has has certainly, you know, led led me to raise my own game too. So, yes, I do take my own advice.
1: (laughs) At what point in your career did you find yourself so fascinated with research?
0: Well, early. I mean, I would say... My, I, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be an astrophysicist. Really? I was really into science. and wow. um, But I also really liked writing. Okay. So, uh, and then I discovered economics, which seemed to be like a human science, and I thought this was just the best thing ever. Yes. I got—I uh, started studying economics when I was 16. So, Incredible. this book really brings together the threads of, you know, a lifetime, I would say, Um and, you know, I worked as an economist through the 1990s, and so that's a very evidence-based sure. uh, kind of discipline. Um, and over time, it just became clear that there was not enough of the people side of it in, in economics for me as it stood at the time mm-hmm. with the career that I was on.
1: Yes.
0: So that's when I decided to switch gear and, and become a management consultant because then I could focus on uh, what made an organization effective, what made a team effective, what made an individual effective, and then I spent 12 years doing that. I, ex- um, and set up my own company, doing more of that. <laughs> well,
1: well, I was gonna. So, it's been a long gonna, journey, uh, let's say. Well, I was gonna say, I would think you know people miscommunicate all the time in corporations and you know in meetings and and it's that's a much needed you know skill because mm. people need to function effectively to be successful, obviously.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah, and that's why there's a whole part of the book which is on interactions how do you how do you really um build rapport with people how do you really um we've heard this term you know active listening well what on earth does that actually mean what does it really break down to how do you uh handle tensions when they're arising so yeah it's so it's so critical and yet it's actually also in some ways quite simple because at the root of it is the the need to actually be curious about other people right And, you know, in the average corporation, if you listen to the conversations that people have, I say corporation, I mean, I've worked in the public sector, so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) it's the same everywhere. And in the average organization, let's say, a lot of conversations are either, you know, superficial oiling of the wheels, you know, how was your weekend? Great. How was yours? Yes. Or they're factual, like, when is the report due? Mm -hmm. And not so many are really actually asking questions about, other person saying so tell me what do you think about this and why do you think that right and it's so wonderful to be asked those questions to be asked what you really think and to have someone actually pay attention yes and if i were to say one thing about improving the quality of conversations it would be to actually decide to be curious about where the other person is at i i
1: like that notion because i don't like superficial conversations you know when someone says hi how are you and they don't really mean it it's, it's just fluff, mm. you know, kind of yeah. going through the motions. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, some of that is necessary to, you know, oil the wheels. Right. Um, you, you know, there's a bunch of research which is um, badged as uh, in-group work. So what, what that means is when you feel that someone is in your group, or as the researchers call it, in-group, uh, You treat them differently. You're much better able to feel empathy for for their feelings, for Mm -hmm. example. When you perceive someone is not in your team, on your team, in the same sort of way, is somehow different to you, then you treat them naturally as a threat, first off. And so small talk is actually really important for making you feel like you're on the same team. So, you know, talking about the weather or complimenting someone's outfit is just a way of saying... I'm like you, we care about some of the same things.
1: Yes.
0: So I'm definitely not saying that small talk is, um, is you know, it, is to be avoided because actually it's, it serves a really important social and psychological and even neuroscientific p- purpose. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it, it would be nice if we complemented that with some deeper, some more real questions and right. some more real listening. Right.
1: Now, do you also lecture as well?
0: I do. I give a lot of talks. I give a lot of speeches. I mean, uh, you know, th- there's, there's my coaching work, um, mm-hmm. where I work with individuals and sometimes uh, companies. Um, there's my writing. I'm still writing a lot, you know, articles for magazines and, and so forth. And then also, yes, a lot of speaking. So I'm on the road quite a lot at the moment.
1: Wow. <laughs> I, you know, I noticed your articles have been featured in Financial Times, New York Times, Washington Post, The Economist, Forbes. That's fantastic.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, I I do feel like there's a wave of interest in this sort of science-based behavioral change work um, that uh, I'm I'm delighted to tap into. So I hope that I can add something useful to, to what's already out there.
1: I think it's wonderful. Where can people find out more about you? What's your website?
0: My website is carolineweb.co, uh, that's .co rather than .com. There are loads of Caroline webs in the world, okay. it turns out. So I'm carolineweb.co. And a couple of nice things people will find there. One is um, they can download a copy of the first chapter of my book for free. Okay. And they can also take a quiz called the Good Day Index, which gives you a percentage score how how likely are you to have a good day but also importantly gives you one tip for every chapter of the book which uh, which will get you started on raising that score wherever your starting point is
1: that's fantastic i want to thank you so much for calling in this has been great
0: thank you it's been a pleasure and,
1: and you have a great day
0: you too <laughs> all right thanks carolyn. <laughs> bye-bye. bye-bye
1: that was carolyn webb calling in she's author how to have a good day management consultant, as well as an executive coach. And if you missed any part of today's show, we'll be up later on on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And I'm going to leave you with uh, another song from this uh, CD we've been listening to throughout the show by The Veils off of uh, Runaway Found. Uh, I do want to mention we heard the last track I played earlier on was called uh, The Tide That Left and Never Came Back. And I think we'll wrap up the show with the wild sun. If you want to find out about being a guest, just send me an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at org. Have a great day, and I'll be back next week. You're listening to Get the Funk Out on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.